0: Uh, tonight we're going to continue in our What's in the Name series. Uh, this is the fourth one. If you want to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 17, that's going to be our main passage tonight, but we're going to look at some other places. But we're we're going through some different names that we find for God in the Old Testament. Uh, we're in the section now. These are called the compound names of God, and they all start back with the name that... Uh, Exodus 17. I, I'm sorry. Let me pull up. Let me get that Can you hear me better now? Yeah. Okay. You just got to let me know. I can talk louder if I have to. Talk louder. All right, I'm going to talk louder, even with the microphone. Is that better? All righty. But we're in this section of the compound names, and they start with the name that God gave Moses from the burning bush. Uh, and translated roughly into English is I am who I am. And in Hebrew, when you translate that into English, it's, it's the name y-h-w-h and we're really not a hundred percent sure how to pronounce it our best guess is yahweh Uh, we did address the idea there's some other words used for god in scripture Uh, i know you're probably getting tired of hearing this but in case you hadn't been here um, they are the words el elohim and eloah they are all translated god capital g little o little d when you're reading english and they can also be used to describe people not just god they can be used to describe angels There's a Hebrew word called Adonai, which is translated Lord. And once again, that can be used for human masters, but it's also used for Jesus Uh, in the the Greek translations. uh, It's the word Kyrios, uh, but it's a translation of this Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. In English, you'll see these words translated G with a capital G, little o, little d, and capital L, little o, little r, little d. But if you've ever been reading along and you see God or the word Lord in all capital letters, is this W-H, I mean Y-H-W-H, I keep wanting to flip those. That is God's holy name that He gave. It's His personal name. It means I am who I am. And so far we've seen some compound names. We've seen uh, Abraham designate the place where God provided the sacrifice as Yahweh-Jireh, the Lord provides. We've seen yahweh Rothay, which we looked at last week. And tonight we're looking at this word Yahweh-Nisi. Uh, The word nisi, when translated into English, can mean a standard, an ensign, a signal, a sign, or even a warning. But a lot of English translations translate it as banner, which is why I wanted to sing that song tonight. We're under the banner of the cross. And the passage we see this first is in Exodus chapter 17. So if you've got that open, beginning in verse 8, it says, "At Rephidim Amalek came and fought against Israel." "...Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand." Do you see that's capital G-O-D there? That's Yahweh. "...Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, while Moses, and Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed." When Moses' hand grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. I don't know about you, but that's kind of amusing to me that as long as, as Moses had his hands up in the air, they were winning. And then Moses got tired and his arms started to droop. And as his arms started to droop, they would lose. And he realized he couldn't stand here all day. And the reason that's significant, when his hands were raised to God, he was signifying that, God, this is your battle. And we're trusting in you. And as his arms drooped, the enemy defeated them. So they came up with a solution. Sit him down on a rock. Aaron got on one side, Hur got on the other, and they held his arms up. Uh, sometimes we probably could use a little bit of help like that as well. But as long as his hands were raised, they were victorious. And Joshua defeated Amalek and the army, and they won. Verse 14, he says, Then the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it Yahweh is my banner, Yahweh Nisi. He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation we have now have a, another example of God demonstrating His power among His people. And His people understanding that it's only because of what God had done that they were able to be victorious. Abraham understood that if it hadn't have been for God stepping in at the last moment, he would have had to kill a son. So he rightfully named that place Yahweh provides. And now Moses is understanding that the only way that they could be be victorious over these enemies was through God's power. It was all because of God. And so he said, the Lord is my banner. And like I said, that word can be translated as standard, as an ensign, a signal, a sign, and even as a warning. I want to look at the idea of what is a banner. What do we understand banners being? If you like sports, you see sports teams raise banners and for all sorts of things. If you go to a a stadium where a team has been fairly successful and they win a pennant or they win a championship, they raise banners saying, we won the championship in this year. And you see them all over the place. You can go to almost any arena, no matter the sport, and you'll see banners recognizing that they won a championship, they won this. Some of them recognize individual players. They'll put up a banner recognizing this player achieved this honor or did this. So we see that in sports. Banners are labels. They're markers. They announce names and images. They're visual. They're something that you can see and put your eyes on. A flag is a type of banner, if you really stop and think about it. People recognize them and can see them from a distance. I've been in several different basketball arenas. I won't mention teams because I don't want to divide but in every one I've ever been in, if even if you're sitting way down at the bottom, you can look up at the top and you can see all these banners, people's names, their numbers have been retired for various things, they won this. You watch on TV, you can see them all around the football stadiums. If you were watching any of the games today, you can see names and numbers and dates and all these things. And for those people that follow sports, those are significant events, they're significant people. They show a location, they show identity. They commemorate significant events. Our military, they have banners, they have insigns, they have patches, they have all sorts of things to designate rank, to designate your platoon or designate a group that you belong to, so those of you in the military understand an ensign or a banner or something that you stand up under. Banners are meant to be seen. They're unmistakable. They're unignorable. Even the uniforms of our military are designed a certain way. Certain colors mean things. If you see a a soldier wearing a green beret, you know who that soldier belongs to. You know what that soldier does. If you see someone flying a certain flag, you can pick the team that they pull for. You can pick whatever it is that flag designates. We have flag, we have an American flag that designates that we are American citizens. And we fly that flag to show that We are citizens of this country and we're proud to be Americans. We have this flag right here that signifies that we are Christians. And we fly this flag to show our allegiance to our Lord and Savior. So we understand the concept of a banner or a flag. When I was in marching band, many, many, many years ago, when we would go to parades, before the band ever got up there, you know what we had? We had two people carrying a banner, letting people know that we were this band from here. So we understand the concept. So the idea of Yahweh being our banner should be a very familiar idea to us. That song sums it up perfectly. We have a royal banner given for display for the soldiers of the king. Now, our banner is the cross. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But the Israelites understood that when they marched out to battle, and remember when they marched out to battle, they had the Ark of the Covenant in front of them. To signify that this was God's army. They were following God's lead. He was going to deliver the victor. And God wanted to make sure that His people celebrated the victories they had through Him. He wanted to make sure that they remembered. How many times throughout Scripture do you see people of faith stop and build an altar? Or stop and gather rocks and commemorate a place and rename it? It's very important. The banners, they celebrate things. They help us to remember we build monuments to help us remember certain events and certain event individuals in our own country, and we understand that. We wear certain types of clothing to announce that we're fans of this team. We fly flags to let people know we're proud of our country or we're proud to be Christians. So we understand the concept behind Yahweh, our banner. The reason I picked that song is because as Christians, we march. A lot of people don't like the language. We don't sing the songs as much as we used to, but I grew up singing songs like Soldiers Under the Banner of the Cross, Onward Christian Soldiers. A lot of that language has been lost. And you can debate whether or not it's good or bad that those things have been lost. But when you look at Scripture, it's true. We are in a war. It's a spiritual war. Now, our enemies are not human beings. Our enemy is the devil and his angels. But we are very much in a war, and we are very much soldiers, every single one of us in here. And we don't need to forget that we are fighting a battle and we are soldiers. And Scripture has made it very clear the banner that we are to be marching under. There's some other places that you see this a root word or this word used in Numbers 21.8. They had a really interesting thing happen. The people were out in the wilderness and they were getting bit by poisonous snakes, if you remember this story. And they were dying. And Moses went to God and said, what am I going to do? The people are dying. They're being bit by venomous snakes and they're dying. What do I do? And God told him to do something really strange. He says, I want you to craft a serpent out of bronze. And I want you to raise it up. And the word it says, it says, raise it up on a pole. And it's a root word. Raise it up as a banner among the people. Or as a warning among the people. As a sign among the people. And it says, tell the people that if they look... On this bronze serpent in fate, they will be healed. And if they don't, they're going to die. And it uses this same term that Moses lifted up the bronze serpent as a banner, as a sign showing that this is how they would be healed through Yahweh's power. In Psalm 60, verse 4 says, For those who fear you, God, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the boat. You see this language all throughout the Old Testament in the Psalms and in the prophets that God is our banner. He is the flag that we should be flying and marching as soldiers underneath. In Isaiah chapter 5 it says, He lifts up a banner for distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. And this is pointing to the Messiah. But I want us to really look at Isaiah chapter 11. So flip over there with me. Isaiah chapter 11. This is a section where Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. The one who's going to come and be king of all kings. And Lord of all lords. The one who's going to come and sit on David's throne forever and put all of his enemies at his feet. And Isaiah is prophesying this hundreds of years before Jesus is ever born. I don't know what topic heading your translation has, but the the editors will sometimes put topic headings to let us know what this section of Scripture is about. In mine it says, The reign of the Davidic king, the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 11 it says, Then a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He would, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. And will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like a cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hands into a snake's den They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is full of water. On that day, now that's referring to the second coming of Christ when He puts all of His enemies under His feet. We see that none of that stuff is going on now. Jesus has come. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. So this is talking about when the Messiah returns and He makes peace. And all of these things that just don't happen in our world happen under Christ's reign. It says, On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to Him for guidance and His resting place will be glorious. And then in verse 12 it also says, He will lift up a banner for the nations, gather the dispersed of Israel, the remnant, and collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Yahweh Nisi, the banner. And the interesting thing and the reason I picked that song, and I have to think, I've never researched a writer of that song, but I have to think that the writer of that song was connecting all these ideas. The idea of God is our banner. We fight under the banner of the cross. Because John in chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, mentions one of these passages of Scripture. So let's turn over there real quick to John chapter 3. These are things that I have read over and over again, and it wasn't until years later that I was reading them and started to connect the dots. Have you ever done that one day? You read something that you've read hundreds of times, and you just read it, and you're like, well, that's interesting. John 3, we get caught up a lot on John 3, 16 and 17, and rightfully so. And it's really easy to look over some of this other stuff. But keeping in mind what God said all the way back in the Old Testament, as Moses recognized that they could only defeat their enemies under the banner of God, that God was their strength, God was their shield, God was the one that they were fighting under. And then connecting that with that really odd story with Moses raising up the serpent. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3. And we'll read just some of it. We won't read the whole thing. But It says, A man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came at night to Jesus and said, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. We're probably all familiar with this story about Nicodemus. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we know this conversation. Nicodemus says, How can anyone be born when he's old? He can't enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again. And Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is not stupid. Nicodemus is an educated man. He understands the Scriptures, but Jesus is presenting to him something he's never heard before. How can this be? I'm paraphrasing. He's like, Jesus, this is crazy talk. What are you talking about? So Jesus is going to go back to something that Nicodemus understands, something that Nicodemus has heard and can relate to. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? I can almost sense Jesus' frustration here. Kind of like when we talk to our kids and we're telling them something for the hundredth time. Don't you get it? You know this. Come on. You've heard me say this before. Jesus says in verse 11, Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you don't accept our testimony. And he's referring to those religious leaders, the Pharisees specifically. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. And look what he says here in verse 14. And it's interesting when you connect the dots. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life And then we get John 3, 16 and 17. Sometimes we skip right over that and get to the good part. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but through Him the world might be saved. And we we forget about the lifting up the snake in the desert. And Jesus is obviously referencing His crucifixion, the way in which He's going to die. And when you start to connect the dots... And you start to see the images in the Old Testament coming to life in Christ. I had a a really smart professor. I had a bunch of smart professors, but Lee Fields may be one of the smartest men I've ever met when it comes to Scripture. And he helped us connect a lot of these dots. And helped show us that a lot of the things going on in in the Old Testament, specifically with these names of God... We're all pointing to what Jesus was going to come and do. That's why the book of Isaiah is so fascinating because hundreds and hundreds of years, Isaiah is talking about this Messiah that's going to come in. He uses language like he's standing there watching it in person. So you know, God reveals. And just like with these other names of God, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of them all. Jesus is God, He is the I am. John makes that very clear in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. Jesus, He is, I am. And I shared that passage during that sermon when Jesus said that to the people. They said, you knew Abraham? He's like, you're not 50 years old and you're talking about Abraham? And you remember what Jesus said? Before Abraham was, I am. And they tried to kill him. Jesus is Yahweh Shira, because he provided redemption and salvation and the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life by what he did for us on the cross and from raising from the tomb. He is Yahweh Nisi. He is our banner. All of these things pointed to what was going to happen with Jesus. I often wondered when you're reading that passage back in Numbers, why in the world did God tell Moses to raise up a snake? That just seems so odd to me. But here we are in John 3, and Jesus himself is pointing back to it. Who knows? This is speculation, but perhaps God did that especially so that Jesus could point back to it. And in Numbers, it's that same word, the idea that that was the banner. That was the sign. That was the thing they had to put their eyes on and focus on in order to be saved from the snakes. And here we are now in 2020, and Jesus is still the banner. The cross is our banner. Jesus is still Yahweh Nisi. I don't think it's wrong to pull for certain teams. I've got some jerseys and t-shirts and ball caps, and I don't mind putting them on even when my team loses and let people know I'm a fan. I especially appreciate our military, the dress uniforms and stuff. One of the most impressive things to me is the Marine, not to pick on anybody else, but that Marine dress uniform is something else. It's impressive. Not to pick on any of the other branches, but something about that Marine uniform is just, that's impressive. I don't mind bumper stickers and I don't mind flags and my, my mom used to put all kinds of flags hanging on the front of the house. She had a spring flag. She had a winter flag. She had all this stuff and those things are fine as long as they don't consume us. I've already shared for better or worse the teams that I like to pull for and I don't think it's wrong. I had a jersey on this afternoon for a little while until my team just blew it and I just took it off and threw it in disgust. <laughs> and I don't think those things are wrong as long as we keep them in perspective and understand that they're just temporary and they're not important but the cross the banner that we march under the banner that we follow that should take precedent above them all i've said this before and i'll say it to the day i die i'm proud to have been born in this country i'm so glad i'm an american And you'll never hear me say otherwise. I'm so th- I've been to other countries. I am thankful. I thank the Lord that He blessed me and let me be born in this country. And despite all of our faults, I still think our country's the greatest in the world. And we need to be proud. But the banner of the cross should high, fly higher than anything else. Paul reminds us that our citizenship truly is somewhere else. We're living here for a short period of time and we have to live here. We have to interact and we need to make a positive impact while we're here. We can pull for whatever team you want. You can fly whatever flag you want. Even if I don't like it, that's okay. But the one thing that should unite us, the one thing that we should all find common ground on is the fact that Jesus is Yahweh our banner. He is the one we put our eyes on. He is the one that we focus on. He is the one that has been lifted up. He is the one that has the name above all names. And He is our only hope. He is the only thing that is truly worth giving up your life for and following. And I think Scripture makes it really clear. Moses recognized that as long as they followed God and as long as they were obedient... And as long as the Lord was their banner, the one that they fought for, the one that they marched for, that they were going to win. And I stand here tonight, and as we close, I will remind us, no matter what happens in this world, as long as Jesus is our banner, He's the one we follow, and He's the one we fight for. No matter what happens, we win. Let's pray.